0: Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you listening with us today and happy to have a full crew here in the studio. Morning, Dustin. Good morning, Brad. And Bob. Good morning. Philip. Good morning, everybody. And we have Dr. Shelby Roberts from Alltech, who is an Alltech beef technical sales support. Morning, Shelby.
1: Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for having me today.
0: We're happy to have you on and Alltech sponsored this episode. So we're going to be able to pick your brain a little bit. I know one of the things that you like to talk about is scours. Not everybody can say that, but Shelby likes to talk (laughs) scours. So we're going to talk scours as we uh, come into calving season. We're also going to talk a little bit about niche marketing programs. And Dustin has done some work with some of the people doing local packers and what are some of the opportunities there and how could that impact your operation and we're going to wrap up by shelby and and philip having a little bit of a conversation about my mineral needs and would that potentially have changed in a drought situation do i need a certain type of mineral supplementation before we get into those topics I, i wanted to ask you guys opinion because we've had a pretty serious debate here in the office recently and i wanted to see if you could weigh in on it for us because The other day we had candy at one of our meetings and the Reese's Cups came out and the debate was, so you really have three options here you can choose from. You can get a normal Reese's Cup, which is the flat circle, the mini Reese's Cup or a weird shaped holiday Reese's Cup. Yeah, which of those is best? And and I don't, I don't you know, know if full, my opinion comes out in the question or not. Full disclosure, <laughs>
2: it was Philip that brought the, the Christmas-shaped, oddly ratioed yeah. peanut butter cup thing.
0: Not that you're calling Philip out for having candy that's two months old. <laughs>
2: yeah. so, but he was willing to share. Well, I didn't say which holiday, but it was Christmas. But anyway,
3: <laughs> you did. You said Christmas. Oh, did I? Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, and, and uh, as much as I did enjoy that, and I did enjoy that, and feel free to bring it back anytime, uh, it's not as good as the real, original ratio between peanut butter and chocolate.
0: Philip?
3: I kind of agree. I mean, these are bigger, so there's more peanut butter there, So, but the surface area to inside is not the same, and so there's not as much chocolate-to-peanut butter ratio as the original Reese's. Destin? So
4: I just bought a bag of the heart-shaped Reeses for class. I was gonna bribe my students in class, and I ate the whole bag before I got to class.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so
4: it's okay with. I you. am all about the heart shaped or the Christmas shaped or whatever
3: shaped. <laughs> <laughs> Peanut Be- butter and chocolate doesn't matter what shape. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna have a hot take and say I don't like
1: Reese's cups, so I have no opinion on the matter. Uh, <laughs> what? It's wow. A, it's a very unpopular opinion, wow. but. It's- that I don't is. like peanut butter, so it's it's a no-go candy for me. No. Wow, that
0: is. No, cool I didn't. I did not. No, I that, didn't expect that was out. a. No. Yeah. yeah. Well, well just these, throw the, these are these are these are the types of in-depth discussions that we have here, <laughs> nutrition-related. We're not limited to cattle nutrition. Sometimes we get into the human nutrition side. So.
1: I mean, apparently Phil was being healthy because he saved his Christmas one. So that just means he's like managing his intake of sugar. So <laughs> mm-hmm. yep,
2: yep, he has some uh, some ability to delay gratification of the uh, Reese's <laughs> peanut butter cups.
0: I think he just forgot about them. <laughs> no, it's just a really big bag. <laughs> so, well, Shelby, we're happy to have you with us. And I, I mentioned at the top, and you, that you do some work looking into scours how to manage scours and and certainly when we come to this time of year we get wet weather we get new calves being born and scours is something that that we see on different operations and it can be really frustrating because you you start out with one or two calves and then all of a sudden I may have several of them they can get really sick so so tell us a little bit about what, what you talk to people about to manage scours.
1: Yeah, so you're right. So scours can be really frustrating because one year you're not going to, you don't have scours and then the next year you get hit with it really hard. So a lot of things that we talk about producers with when they're considering scours is how prevention and early detection, right? So you want to make sure you're setting those cows up so that when those calves are born, they're one in a clean environment, which is sometimes not always possible, but Are you managing your calving area where you're not mixing older cattle with or older calves with younger calves? Because that's going to increase your likelihood of having uh, scours pass. Are you feeding, um, are you managing them and feeding them so that calves have optimum immunity so that they have a fighting chance when they get into those maybe dirtier environments? Um, So that's mainly what we do is looking at ways that we can prevent scours from happening and then making sure when we do get scours we catch it early
0: to help those calves recover as quickly as possible yeah excellent several great points there relative to feeding location how we feed how we manage so so bob i I know you've done some work on this too i'll let you add on
2: yeah and i really like the way shelby said it because scours is an interesting disease as a veterinarian because you have both the animal to animal spread because it is contagious kind of in that we are concerned about and and a a slightly older calf so that calf that's past a a month of age or something is a real bad actor as far as shedding a lot of germs and for my neonates those first two to three weeks of life are when they're most at risk of having a severe case of scours so some some animal segregation so keeping those older calves away from younger calves is a really important part but then the other part of this disease is contamination of the environment and so a clean environment so that might be moving cattle it might be um, making sure that, you know, that, that your feeding system doesn't cause an accumulation of manure. And also just, you know, so scraped lots, you know, any, anywhere I can do, anything I can do to keep the environment clean. So both animal to animal spread, keeping those old calves away from young calves and keeping the environment clean are two of my most important interventions especially kind of on that environment side.
0: So feeding wise Philip we talked about the nutrition I'm going to come back to the environment in a minute but we talked about the nutrition for the cows being important what kind of shape would you like to see the cows in coming into calving season does that impact our our chances of scours?
3: Yeah I think we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago but making sure that that cow's in good body condition score at calving so you know five to six and making sure that she's had good energy and protein the last couple of months leading up to calving to make sure that she's providing an adequate concentration of antibodies in the colostrum because that's the calf's first defense against any of those pathogens is the, the immunity that the dam is passing along in the colostrum.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that colostrum, that immunity is, is really important. And both Bob and Shelby, you guys both hit older and younger calves give me some specifics. So you're saying, are, are we talking a week older, three weeks older, two months older? When, where should I provide that cut line of separation?
2: I think there's some some room for a little bit of variability. But there was some work done out in Nebraska, it's been a number of years ago, that was really good. And they tried to keep the age range within a pasture to one to two weeks. And when you do that, it's really effective at diminishing the risk of, of scours in calves. A lot of times that's hard to accomplish. And I've worked with ranches that you know, if they can get it down to three weeks or so, so that that's a fairly good intervention is to keep, you know, calves that are more than three weeks older away from newborn calves. So I, I, I think the best answer is as as short as you can manage, but then you've got a number of pastures and those types of things. So as short as you can manage, but if I can get it down to three weeks or so, I think I will have some benefits. I don't know what, what uh, Shelby thinks.
1: No, I I would say around that three weeks time period as well. But I also think you could consider managing them based on cows too. So if you have a heifers versus cows um, breeding and you have the ability to have two separate pastures, I would probably calve all your heifers together and all your cows together because those cows typically have a more robust immune system, right? So those calves are probably a little bit, have a better um, immune transfer. And so those heifers, I would manage those calves together and then keep those cows separate.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And then you you end up with some separate pastures and it kind of feeds into what you guys talked about in environment-wise mm-hmm. in that if I was going to move cattle out, I would move the still pregnant cattle to a new pasture so that they can calve in a clean environment rather than moving the pairs. Yeah, I, our
2: right. biggest yeah, exactly. risk animal is the babies. You know, the the very young calves are the ones that I'm really worried about getting a severe case of scours that could be life-threatening. And if we can get them to just, if we can get those calves up to three, four, five weeks of age, then they're much more resilient to severe effects.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you both said clean environment. Tell me what that means. Because on a, on a cow-calf operation, clean environment, what, what would I do to get a clean environment? And how does that fit your definition?
1: When I'm talking about clean, it's mainly just buildup of manure. So if you have multiple, like a lot of cows in a small area i would either i would manage it by either getting a larger calving area or i would have smaller calving groups so again as soon as if you add a cow to a pasture or to a pen because she's calved then maybe re- remove the one that is the oldest cat cow out so you ha- can minimize like minimize the amount of manure that's going to build up in that area
0: yeah. round bale round- right. feeders yeah I- um, how do i how do i manage that <sighs> well they can be a real problem
2: because many times especially as we get to this and again depending on where you are in the country uh we're getting late in pregnancy or early calf you know young calves and we're still feeding hay and i, I use a round bale feeder to minimize my wastage but then i can get into some really bad situations with mud and manure around those round bale feeders so this is a place where i'm willing to waste hay to improve cattle health so i would like to not use a round bale feeder but actually unroll the hay and then move the location each day. Because I'm, I'm, where we get manure buildup is where there's a lot of cows spending multiple days in the exact same space. So try not to let that happen.
0: Absolutely. And the, the other thing I would say is cattle are going to stay. If we've got hay we're providing and water sources, they're going to stay right around the hay and water. If those two things are close to each other, which often they are, the cattle are going to spend all their time in that area. So it doesn't really matter how big their pasture is they don't go roaming if they're not grazing so you can move the hay separate it out have them go back and forth move the hay to different areas it's a little less convenient it's less convenient. it's a lot
2: less convenient it's a lot less convenient you're right but it's definitely an important thing to do for
0: cattle health yeah but it, but it could be could be worth it so i want to switch switch topics and and dustin i want to learn a little bit about kind of what you've been doing because i know you've traveled around the state here and as we went through COVID and some other things there was talk of what if we had more options to, and I may not say it right, but maybe more directly market beef to consumers? So from my ranch to a small packing plant to direct to consumers, and you've kind of done some investigation into feasibility of this. Tell us about that.
4: Yeah, so we we kicked off a study last, I guess, last fall uh, here at K-State looking at just trying to get a better understanding of the small, we call it small to mid-size, but really we're talking small meat processing here in the state of Kansas. Uh, There's been a lot of emphasis in this arena post well since the pandemic and so what we did last fall is we had a number of town hall meetings just to learn and understand who the players are what's what some of the issues they're facing what are some success stories and things like that and you know if you go across the state you've talked to one you've talked to 30 I mean it's a, I mean, you keep hearing the same issues at each one of the locations labor uh, carcass utilization you know there's strong demand for their products regulatory issues and on and on and so that's kind of what the project was about and that's some of the big things i guess the thirty thousand foot view of the things that we were hearing
0: and and those could feed right into niche marketing programs where you're where you're going to market directly either to a consumer or to fill some specific need right
4: absolutely and there were some uh, we There was a, a, a producer at one of the meetings. He didn't, wasn't into the processing side, but he worked with his local processor that took, I don't know, five or 10, ten head a week. And then that he took that meat and went to the Kansas City, drove to Kansas City, and they sold it uh, in Kansas City Market.
0: And Shelby, you've had some experience in that area, or at least have had some questions from folks relative to... I'm going to participate in this program or this program. What's some of the general advice you give them if I'm thinking about going down that path?
1: Yeah, the general advice was I would I would check to make sure what those standards are for those programs and make sure that one of the main reasons they're getting, if you, you're not qualifying for a program, is probably coming from your feed source. So if you're supplementing feed, I would make sure that any supplement that is going into that feed is actually on a verified, certified list. So... IMI Global has a great list that can go on and you can look and see what products actually fit into a natural marketing or an organic marketing program. Because those are things that when you're you're, you're thinking about maybe the corn or can I feed implants or um, ionophores, a lot of times it's the smaller things The supplemental things that are coming in that you're not thinking All right, well if I feed glycerol well that probably is going to disqualify me from that program because it's a. It comes from it could come from a animal feed source or animal source, so you just have to look at making sure when you're starting those programs that you know what the standards are and then make sure that all of the products that you're using are going to fit those standards.
0: I think that's a great point because a lot of times we think about things that we may administer, injections, implants, right. some of the other stuff, but when we're providing a feed source and, and you just have to figure out does it fit the program that you're going into or right. not. So Dustin as is, as is does it look like, and you, you talked to some of those folks, what, what would be kind of their take-home back to the producer side? Is there anything producers need to be aware of going into those small or mid-sized meat processing facilities?
4: I'm not sure any take-home messages. I mean, there's differences in terms of, you know, the, the, the large packers versus the smaller ones, right? There's certain things that they can and can't do. You can't sell maybe some of the offal. And so that's just going to be a cost or a loss. That's back to your carcass
0: utilization. That comes right? back to
4: the carcass utilization. And so there's not a lot you can do unless you know somebody that wants some of that product. What are some other things that could be take-homes to the producers? I guess, yeah, I don't know that I have anything off the top of my head. Well, you know, I've got a, a couple of friends
2: that are involved in some, you know, uh, freezer beef type of businesses. And the things that I hear them talking about are, and, and so they're, you kind of talked about it from the uh, the locker plant or the small packer from the producer standpoint in order to have that good relationship with a locker plant that'll hold slots for me once a week I need to be sure I can deliver and that starts to become a problem even if it's just delivering a, you know a couple every month or something like that I have to get my supply chain kind of worked out and then the other side is you know kind of constantly working with the customers you've got customers that are they want a high value product and so you need to make sure that you're listening to what they want and that you can supply what they want when they want it and so, and, and and not surprisingly, my friends that do this, that fits their personality. They really like working directly with customers and consumers. You know, I've got a lot of friends that that's the last thing they would want to do. And so it's all about, you know, finding the niche that you find the right customer, you find the right locker plant, and you find the right producer. And then then it takes work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you talked about the... Not only do you have to work directly with those consumers, you have to get them what they want when they want it, which is a challenge. If you're calving, even if you're calving twice a year, and you're raising them up for beef, you have to have a constant supply, which has really become one of the challenges. And I I see that from the producer side as as one of the challenges, unless. You have some sort of co-op with several producers working together and then you have to maintain product consistency so i think some some potential opportunities there and dustin we look forward to hearing the results when you finish up that survey find out what you need now i I would remember shelby's comment whether you're going to one of these small processing facilities or not if you want to be in a program be sure that everything you're doing including the feed check those labels and make sure that that is suitable for that program Last topic we wanted to talk about today and I think an important one is when you think about and what kind of drove me th- thinking about this topic is as you think about providing mineral in the winter or even in the summer but it's winter still what kind of mineral do I need to supply to those cows and does it change based on the time of the production system so Shelby and Philip I'm going to start out with a pretty simple question can I provide a very basic mineral, like a salt, with a little bit of supplement, or do I need one that's more of a complete mineral mix as my cows approach calving? I'm going to give you the, the economist answer. It depends.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the, you really need to know what your base feed is and yep. where you're at um, with it. And so do you know what your forage is? You know, what type of—I'm trying to think—you know, what what's the— forage species composition in there because those gra- different grasses and especially differences between grasses and legumes have different levels of minerals particularly calcium and we're getting into calving season here and, and cows needing an increased amount of calcium uh, that can be an issue but then also um, this year particularly if we're looking at we've been feeding uh, you know drought stressed forages even if we were we were able to put up some hay last year um, off of our typical hay fields. Those fields were drought stressed. The forages, you know, obviously we didn't get as much production as we normally do. But also those forages are probably going to be lower in phosphorus than usual because soil phosphorus uptake by the plant is affected by dry soil. And so that plant can't take up as much phosphorus from the soil in dry conditions. And so those plants will typically be lower in phosphorus. And so again, as we're coming into calving and that cow starts to ramp up milk production, her phosphorus requirements go up as well. And so um, that's something to be aware of. Shall
1: we? Yeah, I, I would also add that I think you also need to pay attention to not only those macro minerals, but also the the trace minerals as well. Trace minerals have a very important purpose in the body, not only with immune function, um, things like that, which coming into calving is going to be important because that calf immunity is essentially going to come from that mother so you want to make sure that dam is set up to transfer her immune system so i think making sure your trace mineral levels are also being met is an important step in ensuring that that calf has a health or that cow has a healthy calf and
0: that that kind of ties into our scours discussion earlier too so not just the the full nutrition but making sure those minerals are there because it's going to be important both on the macro and micro to meet her needs as she starts to build immunity for those calves
2: yeah, one of the things that I see, and, and so I've got nutritionists in the room; they can kind of help me out. Is as a veterinarian, this time of year, we're getting late in the winter, early spring. We we run sometimes run into these cows that are kind of just the the winter falling apart cow, and it it is oftentimes after the worst of the winter, but, but kind of, they kind of make it through that, but they go down, and so you start thinking calcium and phosphorus, but they're really thin and a lot of times the re, what I take it back to is is the for their base forage is really lowly digestible and so it's not you know they're not their intake isn't very good the rate of passage is really slow so you could almost tick off everything they're low on energy they're low on protein they're low on calcium and phosphorus and trace minerals and what I what I would encourage people to think about is so it's not one problem it's not a phosphorus problem or a trace mineral problem it's actually all of them and it goes back to The forage so i got to get the forage digestibility up either that's a protein supplement or mix it with a higher quality forage or do something but a lot of it has to do with the fact they've gone through winter stress they've lost some body condition and now we're trying to get through the last of gestation that calf is growing she's getting ready to put milk into her udder and we're just running out of a lot of the resources so protein energy and minerals are all coming up short right now and if she goes down i'm kind of already way behind
0: yeah and I think it's a great point Bob is it's not it's rarely a singular deficiency right so if it's not just one thing it's yeah. probably multiple things but providing that supplement and if you get behind it's really hard to play catch up cuz you talked about and I wanted to ask you guys Shelby and Philip so how how long does that take so if I start if I'm short on you mentioned phosphorus Philip if I'm short on that and I start supplementing now, it's going to take a little bit of time to catch up, right? A little bit, but I mean, that should be pretty
3: quick. Um, most of the time, if we have a mineral deficiency, it's it's fairly quick to correct that problem if we get the right mineral in, in there because the ca- the cow's body is ready to, to just, she's already set up to where she is trying to absorb as much of that mineral out of the feed as she can. And so if we give her a good available source, her body's going to take up a large portion of that and replenish those reserves and, and get her back up. So I'm I'd hard to give you a timeline, but um, it's you know a matter of a few, a couple of weeks probably to get her phosphorus or or whatever micro minerals back up if we give her a good source.
0: Excellent. So Shelby, what any other thoughts as you as you plan out your mineral needs? now coming into calving season past calving
1: yeah i I think we're just hitting on the points that that the guys has made is again prevention is better right making sure that we're maintaining that health or the mineral status of those cows going in i think that's really important just Instead of having oh now my cows are deficient, now I'm trying to treat it, maybe managing so that we maintain mineral level untraced minerals in that those cows is important.
0: Well Shelby, we really appreciated you joining us. We were able to talk through scours. I, I like what you guys said. It's a lot on the environmental management. Can I keep the older ones away from the younger ones? Maybe some just different techniques with feeding my hay keeps that environment a little bit clean. Dustin talking about the niche programs and what are some of the options there. And I think one of the important things that came up was being sure that your products in your feed match your program and then wrapping up here on on mineral needs and maybe a little bit different at this time of year especially if i'm dealing with drought stressed forages so we appreciate all tech sponsoring this episode and shelby we appreciate you joining us today as always if anybody has any questions comments things they'd like us to talk about you can email us at bci at ksu.edu